Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another edition of Off Camera, the show where I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. And in this episode, I sit down with actress Sarah Goldberg. All it took for Canadian-born actress Sarah Goldberg to realize that she wanted to become an actor was a preschool production of The Owl and the Pussycat. And as she got older, the joy of acting only intensified. As she tells it, I discovered that being on stage is this point in time where everything goes quiet and you're completely free. With that passion for the craft driving her, Sarah headed off to London to hit the boards as soon as she could leave home. After graduating from the London Academy of Music and Drama, Sarah found immediate early success, booking a part in a play at the Young Vic. But it was the insecurity during the downtime between jobs that she had the hardest time adjusting to. She says, acting is a glorious job when you're working. We're adult humans who get to dress up and play make-believe for money. But all the stuff around the job is really tough, like being unemployed for long stretches and being exposed in certain ways. Well, Sarah moved to New York, leaving the relative security of London's West End for a shot at a film and television career. Instead, she found herself doing any job she could to stay afloat and pay her rent, including video game voiceover work and Best Buy employee training videos. One particularly tough lull between jobs in 2016 was the straw that nearly broke the camel's back. Sarah, very much unemployed, was sitting in her bathrobe at 3 p.m. considering her career options when she got the call that would change her life. She was cast opposite Bill Hader in HBO's Barry, the critically acclaimed Emmy Award-winning series. And with Barry now getting picked up for a third season, Sarah not only gets another year of stability on a successful television show, she also gets to bask in the joy of playing a real, complex woman. Sarah joins off-camera to talk about her most embarrassing audition story, about the Julianne Moore advice that completely alters the way she regards her job, and why being number two on the call sheet can be a good or bad thing. So pull up a chair and listen in. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sam. I'm happy to have you here. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, I've fallen in love with your HBO show, Barry. Oh, cool. It's one of my favorite shows on television. We had Bill Hader on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and Bill plays a contracted yeah. hitman, a murderer. And, and he's in acting class, and he meets you, and you're an actress. And what I find so interesting is not that it's just entertaining, but it's a real, like, peel back the layers of the profession of acting that you don't see on television that much. Totally. And, you know, I think that you are really good at giving a real emotional look into the interior life of an artist. And Thank you. Yeah, and, and I I'm really just... I really appreciate that. So I want to talk all about that. Yeah. Uh, but tell me first, just because, you know, it's interesting, you came from a big stage background. Yeah, yeah. And so I was just curious about your initial audition for Barry and... And, you know, how that relationship started. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I did theater for years and years, and it was really all I wanted to do. Uh, and eventually, I couldn't really pay my rent. And, you know, I think there's this idea, people are like, how did you transition into TV? And it wasn't, it's never really a calculated choice, I think, with... I mean, there's so many things I auditioned for before that I just didn't get. So right. I was, I did another series called Hindsight that was a, a lot of fun. We did one season and then we were canceled. Um, and it was, you know, we were all very, very distressed and upset and we, we thought we'd had a job lined up. And so it was really in the aftermath of that, a few months later, I was like 3 p.m., bathrobe still on, very much unemployed, you know, banana, peanut butter on toast kind of meals. And uh, my manager called and was like, Bill Hader has this new pilot for HBO and I think it's your part. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. I mean, let's do that. I mean, it just seemed so impossible. And I was living in New York. And it, it seemed was all, impossible because it was like it just HBO. Like, it's and it HBO was, and it's Bill Hader. And, right. and it just felt totally out of reach, honestly. And... Um, and then I read the script, and I read Sally's lines out loud, and I thought, I know this girl. Like, I, I know her, I've met her, I can hear her, I can feel her rhythms. And my manager, who I should say is one of my best friends of 21 years, he, he really fought to get me in the room. So I had first regular round of auditions, and then um, I was going to leave town, and they called me in, and they're like, Bill Hader wants to meet you before you, before you go. And I was like... Okay. So Bill Bill called me up and he said, how would you feel about coming in tomorrow to improvise with me? 
Um, and I was like, you know, not good, honestly. I, I, you know, I didn't come from that background. I don't, you know, I was doing sort of heavy theater and. Right. Um, so improv wasn't part of your no, like, training. No, not at all. at all. I mean, I was used to a month of rehearsal with saying the same lines again and again. And so, I'm sure the assumption from watching Bill on Saturday Night Live is that that's just what he does. Totally. All day. I mean, you, you know, he's like the prince of comedy and he. He's so quick. He's so sharp, and he he really is such a good improviser. I think because he has this idea that there are no bad ideas. So so he called, he was very generous on the phone, and he said, "Look, you don't have to be funny. You, you don't have to think about this too hard. Just I'm going to give you three scenarios, and just have a point of view for each scenario." So I thought about that, and I wrote some little notes, and and then I went in over preparing already. Like I should have just gone in open, but I was like, "What's my point of view?" Um, and do I have a point? Do of I view? have a point of view? Um, and so. I went in and immediately he was so warm and we improvised for an hour and I was just peeing myself. I mean, and he got up on camera with me. It wasn't this thing where he's standing off camera and I feel all this pressure that's just on me. He was up on his feet. We were goofing around. We kept laughing and and the idea was kind of to workshop the character. He was like, we don't know who she is yet, so come in and, and help us. And that I felt I could do because that feels like theater where right. you go in and build something together. And then, yeah, and then I had a screen test after that, which I was 48 minutes late for. And I'm Canadian and very punctual. And I've never been late for anything in my life. Why were you late? I, my manager, so-called friend, um, <laughs> insisted on driving me. And we were, we were getting to the point where it was that feeling of like, okay, we're going to be like three minutes late. And, um, and then he had this her- horrendous realization that we were going to the com- completely wrong place. And so I showed up 48 minutes late, absolutely, I mean, just dying inside. And I, I went in and the casting director came out and she was like, it's okay, take a breath. And I said to them, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm so sorry. I, I know I'm 48 minutes late, but I really, I have to go to the bathroom. Otherwise I thought it was going to be like the first actress to defecate on, on a screen <laughs> test. You know, it's like HBO, but it's, you know, not that risky. So, um, so I went to the bathroom and I was just, I mean, I was mortified. And I came out and Bill was waiting for me outside the bathroom door. Like it oh, couldn't right have there. been more humiliating. And he was like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm not okay but I, I think we should just do this. And so we went in and... Thank God you didn't come out and say, do you have a plunger? I know. <laughs> no, or he didn't offer one. Um, and uh, anyway, I went in and it was a scene from Terms of Endearment, which we didn't end up using in the show because we couldn't get the rights. And it was, you know, the big Shirley MacLaine scene where she's yeah. running in the hospital about her daughter. So they said rolling and I just burst into tears. So in a weird roundabout way, I think my manager got me the job. Two because heart attacks so... later. I was just so, I mean, I, I don't know where I was. I was just, I was so stressed. So beyond just wanting a job and not eating peanut butter and banana sandwiches yeah. anymore, was there something about this character that you hadn't seen before? Yeah, I, I hadn't read anything like it. And I, I hadn't read a, a female character like Sally before where, I don't know, she had this really strange mix um, she seemed like a very complex, full character to me, somebody who immediately struck me as someone with broken dreams coming from some dark right. place, looking in the wrong places to heal from trauma. And she had this tunnel vision and this kind of myopia, and she was ambitious, and but equally this kind of girl-next-door cliche of a romantic lead, but then totally flipped on its head with this sort of ambition and narcissism. And I was just so impressed with what they'd written. I just hadn't, it made me laugh too. And right. Well, it makes me wonder, I'm not an actor and I always am curious about the process of making this person three-dimensional. And, yeah. and I guess it brought up a question about when you, when you prep as an actor, are you acting the inner life that you've had to create for her more than you're actually acting the lines? Yeah, I mean, I worked with this great director in London, Dominic Cook is his name, and we did a play together, and he always said to me, what you're doing is not interesting, and what you're doing is not interesting. It's what's happening between you that I'm interested in. And I've tried to really take that on in all of my work, and Bill works that way as well. And I think... There's questions that you're constantly answering about the character that you like hope... You have, to, you have to do that actively, right? Like, you, you have yeah. to generate those questions. But I questions. think it happens when, when it's good writing and it's a good story. 
yes, there's a mechanical version of it where you you make some notes and you you talk about backstory together and all those things. But a lot of that, if you're in tune with something and it's really good, comes naturally and strange ideas pop into your head as you go. If you're sort of open and receptive, I find the joy of what I do is is empathy and really investigating someone else. And I felt like I knew that girl. I felt like I met her in a bar in L.A. And people are always talking about whether she's likable or dislikable. I don't care. She's I know her. And that's all I really wanted. I wanted the audience to feel like, oh, I know her. And Bill and Alec are so collaborative. And they really listen to all of us and our thoughts and our opinions. And um, I remember Bill calling me after we got the first four episodes and he was like, you, you know, he texted me and said, when, you know, when you've read them, give me a call so I can get your notes. And I was like, my, you want my notes? You know, it's so rare, like such an anomaly for that to happen. Yeah. I called him up. I was like, you want my notes? And he's like, yeah, I mean, we're at that point where you know the character better than we do. So can you just let us know? Is there anything you wouldn't say? And so I think we're all interested in story, this particular group of actors. There's no egos on this set. There's no narcissists. There's no Sallys um, within the cast. Well, and that's so, what I wanted to ask yeah. you. I wanted to ask you about that because obviously you're playing an actress, so... There's got to be some odd meta totally. observation of your own profession. Yeah. And it made me wonder if it gave you any empathy or, or, or changed the way you looked at your own profession, especially Huge. at the beginning of TV. Like, yeah, it's such a good question. It really That really is a great question because, I, I mean, initially there you know, was this weird meta experience and there's these familiar moments we all have, like the scene that I had to do in season one in the audition where... Um, her old friend is is in the room, and right. Sally totally falls apart and loses all her lines. And I remember auditioning for film and TV stuff in the beginning and just being so distracted by the camera and so anxious around a camera and completely falling apart in those rooms. And so there's these weird experiences that you have that you this feels oddly familiar. And right. um, I have empathy for that and that aspect of the profession and that this town... Uh, attracts a lot of lost souls, and her being one of them, I have huge empathy for that. And and it's just hard. I, it's a hard job. It's it's a glorious job when you're working. The actual job itself is a joy. I mean, we are adult humans dressing up, playing make believe for money. I mean, it just doesn't get any <laughs> more joyful than that. But all of the stuff around the job is really really tough. And being unemployed for long stretches or um, being exposed in certain ways that you're not necessarily comfortable with or these sort of drop-off points of when you're so busy and and needed and then suddenly you're eating peanut butter, banana toast at three, you know, this this sort of high and low aspect of it is really challenging. And I admire people who have a dream. And I mean, I think we can all identify with that in some way and have some empathy for what that is. Yeah, well, I would imagine that just you would have to sort out what parts do I have direct experience with and what parts yeah. do I not, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, is there a time where you're more insecure about your choices and something you do gets you there? Yeah. There's definitely days where you get something for free. What do you mean? Like you read a scene and whatever happens in your body, you get it for free. It lives somewhere and you connect to it. And, and I never analyze that when it happens. I just let it happen. But then you get other scenes where you think, ah, I'm going to have to build my little path here. And that can be challenging if you don't connect to a moment or if you disagree with what is being said about the character. And so when I have anxieties about what I do, which, you know, I have them regularly, uh, I... I just try to put my focus on the group. It just it dissipates if you realize, oh, you're not actually alone here. Right. You actually have a company. And that's what theater really taught me in working with really great actors in England for years. And they were spear carrier number three for their first jobs. You know, they really understand the long game of what this job is. And I was kind of raised in that, that actually you can all hold hands and jump together. And it sounds really corny, but it really gets you through the periods where you feel really anxious or really on the spot or very exposed. 
And it takes a lot of trust. You got to do a lot of weird things with people that you might not know that well. And that's really a hard thing to do, not try to control it. And yeah, you describe that. And I think, I wonder if the hardest part is before you get there in totally. the group. Like when、oh, you、yeah. get the script and you're home for a week. Yeah,、or? yeah. It's that preemptive anxiety. Right. And,、um, and the doing of it is such a joy if you can release something. And. Yeah, I, I feel endlessly lucky in my job, honestly. It's, it's, a, it's a really magical thing when it's all working. And I just did this play on Thursday night in, in New York called Nassim.、Uh-huh. And this, it's this Iranian playwright, Nassim Salamanpour is his name. And it's this beautiful play、um, that he's written. And every night there's a different guest actor. And I really didn't want to do it because I'm not comfortable with that. No prep. It's like your worst nightmare. Right. You're walking in. They give you a script at the half. And, and you, don't, no, you don't even get the script at the half. You get the script on stage. Wait, what do you mean the half? The half is the half hour before you go on to do a play. That's when you get the yeah, script. Yeah, and that's when you're obligated to be at the theater,、um, generally for any show. Usually you get in before if you've got to put your cur- curlers in. It doesn't sound like much time. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm in at five, honey. <laughs> I'm like so stressed out. Don't want to like, be stuck on the L train. Yeah,、so. You don't want to be 48 minutes late. No, no, you don't want to be 48 minutes late when. 800 people have paid $400. So I did this show, and it ends up being this lesson in Farsi on stage where he, his dream was to perform one of his plays、um, for his mother in his home country in his native language. And it, it ends with you perform his play in Farsi on the phone to his mom. Um, I mean, it was, it was just a room full of weeping people. And I, it was so incredible to be in this dark room. Everyone's got their phones off, which doesn't happen anywhere else anymore.、Right. Yeah. And he, you know, it was this collective experience. And that's the magic of this stuff. That's, that's what I was attracted to growing up. That's what I wanted to be part of.、Right. That's the high. Well, you know, you get to examine a lot of the pitfalls of your profession through this character.、Yeah. Obviously, she's sort of desperate. She's in、yeah. this class. She seems to use the class like therapy. Yeah.、Um, she, and she's a liar. They're all liars. And, and she's a liar. She's gone through sexual harassment. Like, yeah. There's a scene about, about whether this, this guy wants to be her agent or whether、yeah. he wants to sleep with her. And she、yeah. ends up apologizing to him. Totally. Because it's awkward. So I, I wondered if looking at your profession that closely, even in a fictional sense,、mm. has, has had any effect on you personally. You know, I just wondered if it's forced a more of a. Of a magnifying glass on your profession. Yeah,、I've, there's definitely been, we, you know, there's a level of scrutiny on what we do, and, and、um, we need to, yeah, be microscopic about it, like you say. And it's interesting with that scene with the agent, for example. I remember when they wrote that, it was before the Me Too movement started and all kicked off, and I, I read it and I was like, this feels a bit extreme. I, I mean, I love it, let's do it, but I also feel like, Would that really happen? Would he really say that? And, and just so the audience knows, the, the setup is that he is, he's an agent. Yeah, and he's dangling a big audition. And he, he says, like, I, I, got, I get to this point with all my clients where I think, do I want to represent you or do I want to fuck you? And he just、right. says it. And then Sally has no idea how to respond. And they, the writing is so brilliant at this point. And, and Bill and Alec had asked our female writers, because initially they wrote that she got really defiant and she storms out. And, and they're like, would this happen? I'm like, no, no, she'd apologize. And I thought that was so real. And you know, the few times in my life that I've experienced sexual harassment, it's so surprising. It's just, it, it's, it's such a shock. I don't think your brain quite has time to catch up. And then in one experience that I had, It was followed so quickly by shame that that man felt such shame that I then my instinct was to take care of him instead of myself in that scenario. And I wanted to make sure he was okay or he wasn't embarrassed, which is totally bizarre and very upsetting when you break it down. And was and that in the, within the acting world? Yeah, that was backstage at a theater in London, yeah. And with that scene, I, I thought that line was a little extreme. And then when everything came out that's come out, I was like, I mean, we were so PG 13. I mean, we could have gone a lot further to expose what's going on. I mean, I was truly shocked by a lot of what came out. And、um, I'm really glad that we had that scene and I'm glad that we, that we went far with it. But looking back, I mean, we could have. For sure. We could have gone further. Well, it, when you bring up that scene in particular, the, the scene where 
she's harassed and and I yeah. wasn't aware that you'd kind of gone through a, a situation like that but oh I think every woman has I mean yeah I think every I don't I think it's I think it's way more common than anyone I mean I think that's what all this has shown us really yeah I think so too and yeah. I think that the 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 frequency of it if you're a woman it's yeah. just Oh, that's what happens. Well, exactly. There's a numbness to it, and there's an acceptance that I'm glad we're all not accepting anymore because there there was a sort of feeling when all this kicked off. I mean, there I had a feeling of complicity, honestly, where where there's a certain level of behavior that um, I've tolerated in my life because it's just the way things are, and I'm not blaming myself for that. That's a culture that I grew up in that needs to change. But that's why this is an exciting time, I think, that we're all sort of going, hang on. And my frustration with it is, like, we're being asked to clean up a mess that we didn't create. And it's like we're taking on the female role again now of, of being the caretakers and we're fixing this. But men are participating, so grateful for them, the ones that are. Well, it made me wonder if that's one of those gifts you talk about, that when you have to play that scene, yeah, not just for your work, yeah. but... Did that give you an opportunity to sort of really examine what had happened to you personally and, and sort of yeah. sort of like have a different perspective on it rather than kind of putting it away in a box and it did and and there were certain experiences that came back to me that I had not really questioned at the time. And and that was upsetting. And you want to kind of hug hug your younger self and you wish you could go back and and say it in the moment that that was totally inappropriate. Um, but not going to be hard on myself about that because that's part, you know, not going to, it's, I, I really, yeah, it was interesting what, and not just with that scene, but when all of the Me Too stories came out, everyone was going back on their lives and, and experiences were framed in a new light. Right. Um, in the show, I think there's one line about Acting class is cheaper than therapy. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of, you know, it, it speaks to... I'm going to take to, a little credit for that one. <laughs> oh, yeah? Did yes, you write that? I sure did. <laughs> well, growing up in Los Angeles, which I did, you see a lot of desperation. Yeah. And there's a requirement for an actor to be completely vulnerable mm. and the most sensitive person possible to mm -hmm. do the best work. But then the profession itself is so brutal that it requires the thickest skin. Yeah. And, and that's sort of, that's shown in Barry, but it, it also just seems to be the paradox of an actor's life. You're taking words out of my... I, I talk about this all the time, and I, I so appreciate that you see that, that it is, it is, it is this very strange tightrope walk because your vulnerability is your gold. I mean, that's my bread and butter. I can't, I can't shut those parts of myself off or I can't do my job, and yet you do need a really thick skin to deal with all the noise around what this job is and all the rejection and... Um, I I don't know where that lives. Um, you're always just sort of trying to keep your balance. But I I really when I was younger I, I would get so nervous for things and and I would feel like I needed to prove something and I needed to be so strong and and it's just not where the it's just not where the good art lives. And so I I just risk the humiliation to get to the good stuff and and ultimately I can't control anybody's perception of me so I've tried I've tried to just let go of that myth that you need like a really thick skin because you actually need some mesh because you need there has to be transference like things have to come in and out and you have to be connected to other human beings and you can't you shut that off and and what's your where's your where's your gold yeah. and when I got to America I I felt this thing in auditions where I thought, why does this feel like so much more competitive than anything I've experienced before? And I thought, oh, because this job is like, this isn't just about playing Ophelia. This right. is, you need those weeks on stage to get your health care. The union's not going to give you your health care if you don't get those 14 weeks. And so that desperation is, is real. And that, I really use some of that with Sally. And she's come from a desperate situation and she doesn't have money and she doesn't have a fallback plan. Do you ever try to unravel all the way why you 
chose to be an actor and, oh and like I why did. you chose that profession <laughs> to try to figure out life. Like why, why did I choose this filter? My disclaimer on that is it was not a rational decision. I was like four. I mean, I remember I wanted to do the owl and pussycat when I was in preschool. I remember just thinking, I, I don't want to do anything else with my life. And I don't, I have no idea where that came from. I, See, but I don't think that's a disclaimer. I feel like <laughs> that's, that's like supporting my theory. That, yeah, yeah. That, you the investigation just started young. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I guess that's I guess that's right. I guess I guess I was always really attracted to stories and um I wanted to tell stories and be part of stories and I I remember I did a play in school and I had this teacher come up to me after and say, "God, you were so into it." And it was you know and I was like, "Yeah, I I don't know any other way to be with it." I I I found it um it was an escape. I mean, for me, it was never therapy. It was like this focal point of time where everything goes quiet. When you're and, actually on stage. Yeah. And, and there's this collective focus and you're free. I mean, you, you, there's, there's a freedom in, in the mask of what it is that you get to investigate all of these people. And, you know, I'm uncomfortable with the, the press aspect of what I do and the, and the people are always wanting to talk to actors and, like, we're such interesting people, which I find ironic because I don't think we're that interesting. We're so interested in playing interesting people. That's what we do. We like to play other people who do really interesting things. But I think and your I, interest makes you interesting because well, you're thanks, curious Sam. about... No, I think <laughs> that that's, that's where... Yeah. Like, I'll tell you, if, who's not interesting is someone who's not curious about Yeah, anything. and I, I mean, amen to that. I think curiosity is your best friend. And it's if you can keep curious in this job... I think that's your your other aspect of the gold, you know, met, met with that vulnerability if you can go there, but keep that curiosity alive. I worked with Adam Driver years ago. We did a play together. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget, like, being on stage with him every night. I was like, why does this feel like this, like, singular experience that is so good? And I thought, oh, because he's not coming from a place of controlling it. He's just curious. He's literally looking at you, offering up every night with this totally fresh guileless look in his eyes. So I've never experienced that. And I learned a lot working from him because it kept it so alive and fresh. And it was definitely that curiosity. Maybe that's the thing you're drawn to over and over again is that is that you're looking for something that that you don't have control over. Yeah. There's a freedom. That's exactly it. You know, it's it's really it's such a gift. I really and that show Nassim I did the other night. It was it was such a gift. I I thought I can't believe I was going to let my anxiety get in the way of experiencing this because it was such a generous offering and it was so he exposed such vulnerability and he welcomed that in and suddenly this room of you know quite intense New Yorkers they were really heckling at the top of the show were all together in this moment and yeah. I'm lucky that I get to explore all these things and read all these scripts and it's endlessly interesting as a job. Well you say my anxiety almost didn't let me do that play and yeah. it makes me think how many things we turn away from because Because that fear. Yeah. We're just in the way of ourselves half the time. And yeah, I mean the the freedom of acting is everyone's like, oh actors are so um, you know, if I tell someone I'm shy, no one believes that. But it's there's a shyness to what we do. You're, you have a, you can hide. You have a mask. You can absolutely, you know, spread your arms bandwidth, with, you know, in in with the cover of somebody else. Well, and and you you brought up the great, you know, problem with being an actor, especially in the United States, which is if you have to have jobs and if you have to become famous in order to get jobs and have you know some sort of job security in doing that maybe you maybe you give up the greatest thing about why you wanted to do it in the first yeah it's that's it's a hard balance and because there's a lot of fear especially when you're unemployed and yeah I, I gotta say I was you know I'm 33 I've been doing this professionally since I was 21 22 and I I for over a decade I I paid my rent and Nobody knew who I was, and I got to do loads of interesting parts, and I was really proud of that, the kind of being able to have my anonymity. Yeah, and and I had my stints in pubs, and I had my really bizarre temporary jobs, some of them traumatizing. Um, But I... I I was working and I and I was so proud of that, and it was all I ever wanted to do. And I was very... um, 
I wasn't really interested in visibility, and I know that sounds like bullshit, but it was true. I, I didn't want any of the noise around it. I, I was never under any delusion that with fame comes joy or you're going to get to the other side of something and and that's going to be your answer. I, I, I am a curious person and I'm searching, but I was pretty sure that the answer didn't li- lie in that. In and, fame and fortune. Yeah, no, and... and uh, and I saw a lot of my friends become really famous really quickly and that being really difficult and and not being able to get their anonymity back or their freedom. But equally, I was playing these great parts in, in the West End and on Broadway. And, right. and then you realize, oh, now movie stars are doing all these parts. And, and, and I was nervous that if I don't do something that has some kind of visibility, these parts are going to stop happening as well. Right, that weird paradox yeah. of, of having to become famous to be anonymous. I know, I know, I know. Like having to become famous like, to like do to get a name right? so that you can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To go back to working for 600 bucks a week, yeah. And, you know, it's, I don't know, I, I'm, it's, it's an interesting ride, this. And with Barry, it took three years It from... I auditioned in January 2016, and then it finally aired 2018. And yeah, it was a, it was a trip uh, having it be something that was available suddenly for consumption. Which obviously, I want people to watch the show. <laughs> I didn't want to do it in a vacuum, and I didn't. You know, we're not we're not doing it just Damn, to watch I'm it together and have a pizza party. <laughs> um, so I'm delighted that it's been so well received. I, I couldn't be more delighted. And and talking about job security, I mean, we just got a third season, and I. That for me, that's, you know, I've never had that kind of job security in my life. But it is, there's aspects to it that are nerve-wracking. I take the subway, you know, I want to keep taking the subway. It's, it's, it's definitely a different experience. Hey folks, let's take a calming little break from the conversation so I could tell you about this week's sponsor, Calm.com. You know, stress is a worldwide epidemic. We're working longer hours. We're inundated with the constant news cycle, and we're more connected than ever before. Stress is a part of life, but it can very easily affect our overall well-being. And we all know when we get to that level where it just feels like too much. That's the point when we need to find solutions so that our daily existence is not overtaken or ruined by stress. And that's why we're partnering with Calm, the number one app to help you reduce your anxiety and stress and help you sleep better. You know, more than 40 million people around the world have downloaded it. So if you head to calm.com slash off, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day. There are also sleep stories, which are bedtime stories for adults designed to help you relax. You can head to the magical lavender fields of southern France with Stephen Fry or explore the moonlit jungles of Africa with Leona Lewis. They even have soothing music and more. So right now, off-camera listeners get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash off. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash off. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash off. So get calm and stop stressing. And after you've tried it, send me an email and tell me about it. You know, we spend so much time in our lives trying to stay ahead of all our tasks and chores, and it's important to take care of ourselves as well. So try Calm.com and tell me what you think. Now, back to the show. I think of you now, and you're, you're going to do this part that's fully nuanced. It's, it's a woman in full. She yeah. gets to be all aspects of a human being. Yeah. And, and really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, no, yeah. it's, it's, You're, we don't see a lot of women like that on television. You, yeah, I really and, appreciate that. And it, and it makes me wonder if that's sort of vindication for what you thought the profession was when you were a kid. You yeah. know, like yeah. what you got to do as a kid just naturally. Yeah. And why you fell in love with it. Because I think the saddest part about acting often is that you fall in love with one form of the art. And then 20 years later, you find out you're never, you're never doing yeah. that thing. And I think you found that part. And it made me curious about 
Yeah, you talk about desperation and, mm. and desire with this character. Did you want it really bad? Yeah, I mean, I wanted it bad. And I, when I, when I got when I got the part of Sally, I, I, I mean, I've even said to you today, I'm so different from her. She's so far away. And then I had to do this project because HBO were doing this installation in New York. It was really lovely, actually, where they got lots of women to submit journal entries from okay. different periods of their life. So I had to go back and read. I wrote journals a lot when I was a kid, and I have books and books of them, and I've never looked at them. What did you find and out? I, read, I was such a little asshole. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I was like, oh, there's Sally. I mean, she's, really? it was, I was so oh, ambitious. I, she and, is me. Yeah, she is me, and, and I, I, I was, I mean, I, I have to say I wasn't a total asshole. I was, I, was, I was quite thoughtful about certain things. It was just, well, one thing I found really interesting was, was that thing of being a teen where everything has equal weight. So it's like, this is embarrassing, but in, in one entry, I'm talking about September 11th, and I was in Canada, and it felt very far away. I'd never been to the World Trade Center, but I'm talking about all my feelings about seeing these horrors on the news. But in the same sentence, I'm talking about quitting choir and, like, <laughs> that I got my period in assembly. And so it's, like, this, this like, false equivalency of, like, everything has equal dramatic weight. I got and, my period. Yeah. And I got to quit choir. Oh, yeah. and September 11th. I mean, it was, and, and I mean, I was astonished at that. And there was a compassionate voice there. Like, I, I was constantly um, stepping out saying, I'm so upset about the state of the world. And I, but it was all kind of blurry with right. my own personal drama. And that relates to Barry, where this is a great line they've got where everyone's the hero of their own story. And that's what it is reading those journals, where you're like, oh, this is, a, this is the narcissism, narcissism of youth. And, um, and I, found, I just found that the voice in there was so driven in a way that I'm not now. I'm way too lazy. And I, I, it was interesting. I, I thought, oh, there's, I feel like there's pieces of Sally in here. And I was, you know, I was quite precocious and... I wanted it so bad. I really thought acting was everything. And now that I'm older, I don't feel that way at all. And I really wish I'd gone to college for something else. I mean, acting schools, I mean, acting school, it was lovely. You know, we did Chekhov, we did Shakespeare. I was grateful for those experiences, but I really wish I'd studied something with some meat to it. You know, I mean, acting is, it's, it's not something that you can fully teach in that way. You know, it's something that you learn from experience. And anyway, it was interesting reading back that voice and as I grew up it it stopped being that and and I think that opened me up as, as an artist because I I think that that voice it comes from a place of control I mean I'm so grateful that there was no social media when I was in school I Facebook came out when I was in college I didn't sign up for it and I never did and then kind of I didn't missed. either we're the yeah. only two hey hey now Sam um, you won't yeah. find me on that. <laughs> Yeah, you won't find me no. there. And you know, and I, I and then cuz I missed that train, I didn't get on any of them. I'm not on Instagram or any of it. And so I feel and not because I think I'm better than it. I think it would I think I'm the worst. I think it would absolutely it would bring out the you. worst, the worst in me and life's too short. It's just too short. And I I feel for kids now and I really feel for actors coming up and this I think there's this myth with what's going on right now that to be a successful actor, you've got to participate in all that, and I just think it's bullshit. I think my job is to make you feel that Sally Reed is a real person, and if you're reading that I had avocado toast for breakfast at the same time, I mean, it just it's ketchup on steak. I mean, I just, I don't, I, you're ruining it. The mystery and the, I, I, I want, I, I, I don't necessarily want my life to be in public in that way. And right. so the vanity aspect is tough. It's really tough. Uh, I mean, I, I had terrible acne and was overweight in theater school. So I, like, you did. I came into it kind of going, not really thinking of myself in those terms, and, and which was really helpful, humbling time. And um, ah, One of my best friends had terrible acne. Yeah, horrendous. And, and it was not only... Damaging socially, yeah. but it was painful. Oh, it's so painful. It, was, it really hurts. I don't think people think about just how painful it I is. I would imagine with stage makeup and oh, stuff. Oh, and then the caking it on, it gets worse, and the heat under it, and the how did you like, deal needles. with that? I cried. <laughs> I cried, I mean, and then I took drugs. Um, really? Not right. <laughs> I took Accutane. Oh right. Yeah. yeah. Poster roll. There's an advertisement for you. Yeah, and I yeah I, I wish I hadn't gone that route in a way because but I didn't want to play the long game with it. I wanted it off and. 
Um, anyway, uh, it cleared up. And I, I, I entered this business kind of, I read this quote that Julianne Moore had that really has stuck with me where she was like, you're never, you're never pretty enough in this business. You're never thin enough. You're never, she's like, it's not your job. It's not your job to worry about that. It's somebody else's job to worry about what you look like, it's not yours. And I really think about that a lot because the first time you see yourself on camera, it's like, I mean, y you know, you see, you hear your voice on the answering machine and we're all allergic to that. Sure. So it's that multiplied. So I have a rule, you know, 45 seconds to be as mean as I want, double chin, whatever, hate that angle, whatever, 45 seconds cut off. It's just, it's not my business. When you watch yourself. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, it's just, it's not, I didn't do this to be pretty. It's not my... It's not my, that's not my job. And, and I, I want to tell more complicated stories than that. And um, I don't want that to be my currency. I never have. So I've, I mean, it, it's a challenge because there's an expectation and there's a huge expectation on women. And this is my first real round of red carpets and the landmines of that and the inequality of that and the hours that we have to spend in the makeup chair and the boys get to rock up hung over and slick their hair back and and it's it's half yeah, yeah the half the half yeah the yeah, half. yeah they get the half and that's we're right. there at five o'clock yeah um so that's all a challenge and I, I I just do my best to avoid it and not feed those demons because we've all got them I mean I can analyze a photo and be cruel to myself or I could just not open the photo and I don't want it to affect my work I I mean you got to have mobility in your face to express yourself, right. and nobody likes seeing their face like this. But you got to be able to do it, and so I try not to look at that part of it. It's again, it's not my job. I'm sure I'll sing a different tune when uh, I can't get hired because I'm, you know, a woman and I've, I, I my milk not. is curdled. Honestly, <laughs> I hope not. I, I think that you know, raising girls and and seeing the messages that are just yeah it's impossible not to have those messages coming from all yeah. places and, and an and, awareness of your physicality from a very young age that's right yeah and, and i think that especially in a, in a profession where you're scrutinized and it's your instrument yeah to somehow not do that to yeah. not go the self-criticism route no. or, or, or scrutinize it too much and ruin the experience for yourself. Yeah. And I don't know how to, I don't know how we teach that except collectively. It, collectively, It, it won't yeah. be until there's a cultural shift until individual kids becoming women can, can be free of that. The one thing I, I really try to hold on to in this job is not comparing yourself and it is the quickest route to unhappiness. It is just so fast and I remember leaving drama school and there was this like race going on. And it's like, guys, like this isn't a race. It's like, you want to do this for your life? It's a long game. So somebody's always going to be doing better. Somebody's always going to be prettier. Somebody's always going to be working more. I mean, it's just such a waste of energy. And it really, really gets in the way. The one thing I'm proud of myself for on it is that I, I, I think I've kept quite focused. I don't, I don't think that that noise... I've had my days. I've had my days of Googling myself and being mean. But I think generally I, I, I really keep focused on this and what it is coming back to the thing of why we wanted to do this. Why do you want to tell stories? Why do you and I want to sit in a room and talk for an hour? We, you know, it's connection. And I, I, I think that I, I have a naive passion in that regard. Like that, that childish curiosity is not... I, it's it's still alive in me, and so I try to feed that when and make sure it's winning the the yeah. argument. I, I, someone gave me advice once: is just to stay a fan, and I think that really helps. And I watched on the airplane over here. I watched A Little Princess, which is Alfonso Cuarón. I didn't realize that he made that movie, but it is such a beautiful movie. And I watched it every day for about a year when I was twelve. Your girl should watch it. It's very moving. And it was this weird, like, time travel moment because I haven't seen that movie in twenty-one years. Right. And I was just weeping on the airplane like a loon, hoping nobody was looking at what I was watching. And um, and I felt this kind of portal to my child self of, of what that story meant to me and what the, and the amount of imagination in that film. So seeing stuff like that, it opens a valve, I think, and staying a fan and reading a great book or going to a great exhibit or going to a great play. You gotta keep poking, because yeah, it does get harder. It's like we get tired and we get cynical and yeah. we have weird experiences and question things more than, than when we were young. And Well, it makes me think of you know that idea of 
you writing journals and, yeah. and being this kid with so much desire yeah. and enthusiasm and wanting to remain a beacon for your former self. Totally. And, and I feel those same things, those yeah. portals, like certain things that you come across and you weren't expecting to get hit that way. Totally. And that, I think that's right. I think whenever I've had a moment in this job where I get a bit, where I catch myself um, saying something that feels not not like me, I do try to like s tell the 17-year-old, do you know you're on an HBO show with Henry Winkler? And, or tell the 13-year-old, do you know that you you played this part on, you know, in Clybourne Park on Broadway? I mean, to, to not ever lose um, that and like hold the hand of that child literally and say like, you know, you did this. You you got you and you and to find that joy with it because uh, I I wouldn't have believed it if you told me then. In a way, I don't I right. don't think and and I do, you don't want to lose that celebration that that would be in the eyes of that kid if you could tell them. I was curious when the maybe the the lowest point was where you were maybe in danger of losing it. I mean, I certainly read about how you had a long career in London yeah. doing plays, and then you came over to the U.S. and doing off-Broadway and starting to audition for film and TV, and I read that you were, you did some Best Buy uh, oh, internal God, yeah. videos. You've done and, your and, research. And, and like, uh, you want the list? <laughs> uh, some video game acting. Yeah. and I mean, was motion there... Motion capture. Motion yeah. capture. Was there a time when... I mean, we we always grateful to have a job. Or was there a time when it hmm, you got despondent about what it what you thought it was going to be versus? Yeah, in the beginning, I was so grateful for anything. I did that Best Buy. I actually don't think I was grateful for that one. <laughs> I think that was a pretty rough day. But I I remember getting all these things and thinking, well, somebody's paying me, and it's it's a type of acting, and I I can almost say I'm almost act. paying my rent from almost acting. But I was so young and and, and naive, and I was 22, and I was in London, and I think I I also had a romance about what all of that was. Like part of the dream was experiencing, you know, the gastropub in Notting Hill and scraping plates was part of the trajectory. And so I, I had a sense of adventure about it that I, would, I don't think I would have now. But I did have some darker moments in my late 20s where it was really in the drop-off points um, in between jobs where it was just not feeling useful is really tough. And actually, a good friend of mine who you've had on your show, Mackenzie Davis, yeah. was really helpful to me in one of those times. We've been friends since we were kids, and um, she came over once when I was, you know, on the couch, like, just, what is this job? And she's like, what do you want to learn? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, guitar. I've always wanted to learn guitar. She took my credit card. She called a teacher. She found right there in front of me online. She got signed me up for a lesson. And it was it was such an amazing thing to do. It was just you you have to use those periods of time for something productive and something nourishing for your soul. And oh, it took a me lesson. a while. Yeah, it was great. It took me a while to figure out how to do that because I, I'm so committed to what I'm doing when I'm doing it. If I'm doing a long run of a play, I really, I'm honestly never happier and so in it. And really, um, I love that routine and the rhythm of it. And and when it when it would end. You get the post-show blues, we call it, and it's it's real. And it's it's I think it comes down to not feeling useful and not feeling needed and not feeling productive. But what a lesson! I, I think giving us permission when we're at our lowest and thinking we are worthless mm. of going and trying something completely new. Yeah, like, waking up your brain in that way, yeah. your soul. I wanted to ask you about. Uh, I just thought of this because we had Bill Hader on the show, yeah. and I was so shocked at how crippling his anxiety was yeah, at times yeah. on Saturday Night Live and yeah. he told me how when he got really nervous he'd cover his mouth yeah. and that became Stefan's yeah. Yeah. thing yeah. and anxiety to the point where he almost couldn't enjoy what he was doing totally. and I wanted to ask you about I know that right after college you you got to play a, at the Young Vic and yeah. And, yeah and I think this gets to a basic like uh a fork in the road of what kind of actor you are, maybe. Mm. Did getting something like that so young in your career, did it boost your confidence or did it intimidate you? That particular job was just the perfect, it was the perfect lie in that it was the perfect utopian entrance to an acting career that 
that then was followed by the year of waitressing. But it was perfect because it was a small part. So it, the pressure, it wasn't on me. And, I, and I, I didn't have a lot of anxiety around that job. I was so happy to be there. I couldn't believe I had the code to the backstage, to the dressing rooms of the Young Vic Theater. I mean, it was every time I put those buttons in. I mean, I even if, if I go, changed them. I, I know, if you go back now, I know. You're like, they just find me living in there <laughs> <laughs> when I lose it. Yeah, I, I mean, even the smell of the bathrooms in there, there's a specific smell to the wood in there, and I go back, and I'm just overwhelmed with this joy. That, it came, it came later. <laughs> um, it's the wood I'm smelling. I love all your wood in here. I love, <laughs> I love the you poster. You have an unnatural you. attraction to, to wood. wood. I'm Canadian. I grew up in Vancouver. I grew up in a forest. <laughs> Um, maybe like maybe the Indians need to create this little wood like <laughs> yeah. cylinder that Woodshed. you go around in. Yeah, <laughs> when I go to auditions in a yeah. wood cylinder, they're like my anxiety barrier. We can't see what you're doing, <laughs> but I'm really good in here. Yeah, I, so that that was that was sort of a false um, start in a way. That the anxiety came much later, and I. I had this. Pl- I got this play at the old Vic. There's a young one. There's an old one. They're so you on the were same fine at the young Vic. Yeah, yeah. I time was you got to the old Vic. <laughs> No By wood. the time I aged, there, no was, there. there is no wood in there. There is red velvet, which is very intimidating. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it's pro- red velvet provokes anxiety. Yeah. It's, it's a known t- thing. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's a fact. And um, so it's this huge theater, I don't know, a 1,000 or 1,200 seats. And we were doing six degrees of separation. And I remember I experienced this crippling stage fright. I mean, really? I had to come on late in the play, which is always really tough because you want to get on early and get over the hurdle and to wait in the wings is, again, it's that preemptive anxiety. It's worse than the actual thing. So I remember waiting in the wings and there was like, it was like a Roadrunner cartoon or like a Looney Tunes thing where there was this giant red button that said emergency stop above it. It was like a joke that every night exactly where I entered, I had to look at this like emergency stop cartoon button and just beg myself not to push it and ruin the night for everyone. You know, I was was aware of, I was hyper aware of what was going on. I was very aware of the audience. I was very aware of the pretense of what we were doing. Was the that sta- weird thing of feeling your body? The stage was a very steep and- rake. Yeah, yeah. And I felt, I could feel that rake. It, it was... Um, I couldn't relax into the story. I couldn't put the focus on the other actors in the story. I was so locked in my head. And How'd you cope with that? Honestly, I don't even know. I just got through it. I remember a friend at the time said, look, there's a well with stage fright. And he's like, you're not in it. You're, you're looking at it. You can see your reflection in the well, but you're not swimming. You're not, you're not down there. So that was very helpful. Um, and I thought, uh, everyone goes through this. Everyone experiences this. Um, just keep going and hopefully you'll move through it and and I did eventually and but it was tough it's it's a strange I think I learned a lot on the next production working with that great director Dominic Cook when he said like what you're doing is not interesting and I was like oh yeah you're right well that's what do I have to worry about then it's a relief I have to count on you yeah it's a relief we have to make this interesting I don't have to make this interesting and that was a real gift and that helped me through a lot of that period. Um, but yeah, Bill, yeah, it's interesting. It's, I think comedians suffer from it even more and that there's a pressure to, to be funny. And that show, though, I've gone and watched a couple of times. And Saturday it is terrifying. Yeah. I, I, when, they, when they do the countdown and it goes, it goes silent and they go, we're live in five. I literally felt like I was going to throw up. I, from I, the I audience. Can't imagine, from the audience. I cannot imagine how they, they feel. And um, and I'm glad Bill talks about all of that stuff so publicly because I think it's important because everyone looks at him and thinks, God, you're so funny and you're so confident and you're so... And I think it's important that we all acknowledge, like, it's not always that way and you got to move through this stuff. And I think I always... I loved the job enough and I wanted to do it badly enough and honestly at a certain point it was the only thing I was qualified for. So Because you didn't I, go to college for I didn't anything go to else. College for anything else. And so I have a BA in lying on the floor and breathing deeply. Um, <laughs> so I I, I I I had to keep going and uh, and you, you just work through it and, and, and again then there was another hurdle with the camera stuff and I with hindsight with the, the show that I really kinda learned how to do it on because I was I was number two on the call sheet, and I, I had um, had to be there sixteen hours a day, five days a week for four months. So finally, I understood 
what everybody's job was like. And there's yeah. all these people, and you feel in the way, and and like you're gonna mess it up for everyone. And so I really, I got my bearings on that job, and and I got that job. Um, I'd been up for so many pilots and didn't get even a look in. I mean, rarely even a callback, honestly, because I was so nervous in these camera auditions, and I would. Um, sort of psych myself out, not be able to do the thing I'd prepared. I really? Remember, so, yeah, it was bad. And I was like approaching 30, like going to expire in Hollywood. Got to get an on-camera job before. Tell me so about I, that, like you, that feeling of expiring. Uh, like, yeah, I felt like if I don't get a job soon that's going to help, it's, I'm not going to be able to get theater jobs if I don't get a telly job. Right. But I'll tell you where the turn happened and why I got that job was, first of all, I was extremely jet-lagged for my audition, which which helped enormously because jet lag is, it's distracting. You're in another state. You're on another planet to those around you. Did you so go in the bathroom was, again? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I did not nearly shit myself in that one, <laughs> as far as I recall. And um, I, I, I walked in and this, the lo- this lovely cat, success. the secret to my success. Oh, God, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Um, and I, I, You I, could call your book number two. Number two. Number two on the call sheet. <laughs> Number two on the call sheet. Oh my god, very good, Sam. I am using that. I am taking that. Thank you. You'll get you'll get a cut. Thank um, you. I, yeah, I I walked in and this this casting director, Mark Sachs, he's, he was very warm to me. He was the one who kept getting me in when all the others had stopped. And I walked in in my jet lag haze, and he, I saw him, and he he didn't look right. And I was like, Mark, are you okay? And and he said. Uh, I have kidney stones. And I was like, oh my God, Mark, we have to go, let's go to the hospital. We don't need to do this. It's not important. Let's call a doctor. He said, no, 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 no. Let's, let's just, let's just get this taken. And I promise you, I'll go, I'll go to the hospital. And so all my nerves went away because I was, I, I was so focused on taking care of someone else. And I couldn't believe we, we were putting this ridiculous scene on tape when like clearly he needed to see a doctor. That there was a good a lesson here. too. Exactly. A, Thank you for linking it up. There's a bathroom theme. There's a, there's a bathroom theme, but no, there's a theme on putting the focus on something else, right? And taking the focus outside of yourself in some way, and not making it about you. I went to audition for a film uh, in New York, and I hadn't been in an audition room in so long because we'd been shooting for so long, and so I had to do everything on tape because I just wasn't available. It was me and Danielle Brooks, you know, from Orange Is a New Black, yeah. and we were sitting there. We both just looked at each other because we were both so nervous, and we were like, "When the fuck does this end? Like, when? When do we? When does this just feel okay?" And there was such a camaraderie never. in it, and yeah, never, <laughs> never. We're both there breathing deeply, and she was so lovely. And again, another that was another gift where then the focus was right. was not, you know, we could relax, we could commiserate together, and uh, and the audition was fine as they are. Um, but that's the thing; you do it again and again, and at some point, I, I ask myself, when is this going to cost me less? It's not worth it. It's not worth, it's not worth the number two. <laughs> it's like, you just, you know, it's just, it's just a bunch of people in a room who want to tell a story when you right. get down to it. It's, it's very simple. Um, but we put all this other stuff onto it. And um, yeah, it's, it's, in, it's, a, it's a battle. It's an everyday kind of um, investigation as to where that anxiety crops up and why. And well, you you talk about that idea that we always give other people so much more credit that mm-hmm. they have it together and that they totally. have it figured out. And that's that's probably the root of anxiety is yeah. that I'm going into a situation where I won't have the I won't have the tools I need, but yeah. everyone else seems to have it figured out. But me, they've, yeah, they've got a map, and I yeah, they've and, got a sat nav, and I've got you know, a little drawing on a piece of paper and... Yeah. yeah. It makes me wonder, because now you're on this show, you're, you're an actress on a show that's doing very well on yeah. HBO, and I'm sure there's a bunch of actors looking at you going, she has it figured out. Yeah, I don't know. I think about this all the time. I think about projections all the time. I mean, it's endlessly fascinating because there's plenty of people that I've looked up to and thought, you, how do you have all the answers? How do you have that poise? How do you have that that grace how do you find just the right words at just the right time how do you and then you meet them and they're just as much a mess as the rest of us so it's just a day-to-day navigation of like you said what we were all trying to figure out what we're doing here and 
I, I, yeah, I don't have any answers. I, I don't know how to do a red card, but I'm guessing. I don't know how to do an interview. I'm guessing. You know, we're just, we're, I, I think when Are I, you doing all the right things? Thank you. Talk about <laughs> what happened in the bathroom. Yeah, talk about <laughs> shitting as much as you can. Oh, man, I'm in trouble. Um, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I don't, I don't think any of us have that. And I think the sooner we get to the, the truth of that, and that's what we're doing when we do this stuff, isn't it? That's what you're doing in these interviews. That's what we're doing when we tell stories. We we are trying to expose the truth about what we are, who we are as a species. And I I really believe the more we can do that together, the more we can all relax. And the problem with Instagram and Facebook and all of these things is is it's selling the lie and it's it's feeding the gremlins and it's telling you you're not good enough you don't have what this person has you're not as pretty as this person you're not as happy as this person you and and that there's these curated uh, personalities is what happens and it's it just I'm a bit old fashioned but I just don't think it's healthy I think it's actually lack of communication masked as communication I think it's I think we're we're reducing ourselves to not having the conversation because you can just text it. We're we're not having the conversation because you can just post it. I don't need to ask you about your holiday because I've already seen the photos. I, I think we're walking away from something. Um, I hope not for your daughter's sake that <laughs> that's the case. But but that's how it feels to me. All of this stuff. Well, I think that what I've learned here today is that <laughs> I, I think you're drawn to a real connection and. It's why what you do it matters to you, and, and it's why it transfers to an audience, and why I enjoy watching you. And I really appreciate how honest you are about it, because I think Thanks. that it's fighting the very thing you're talking about. You yeah. know what I mean? So I really appreciate your honesty and your, and your candor, and I really appreciate you coming and doing I'm this. I'm so delighted to be here. This was absolutely lovely. I'm a very comfortable chair, might I say. I'm very good choice. It's so lovely to meet you. That was really it's lovely to chat. Uh, it's nice to meet you, too. Thank yeah. you for doing Thanks, this. Thanks, Sam. Hey, folks, that's our show. I hope you enjoyed that. You know, it's funny when you see an actor on television and you're moved by their work, you have no idea the deep well or the history or the path that they took to get them on that show. And for Sarah, working for years in London in all kinds of theater productions and coming to New York and struggling through that whole gauntlet, it's quite a story. And it just makes me want to have seen her on stage and to know more about her. So I hope you enjoyed that. And if you haven't checked out Barry yet on HBO, you're in for a treat. It's a totally original show. It's comedic, it's dramatic, it goes deep, it gets real. So I urge you to check that out. We also get deep and real at offcamera.com. And if you haven't checked that out, that should be your next stop after Barry. Because there's a whole world of what we do on this show waiting for you to discover at offcamera.com. Now, first off, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, take a minute, go to iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode in your feed. And while you're there, give us a review and a rating. That helps other people find the show, which we would appreciate. Then go check out offcamera.com. As you probably know by now, we are also a television show and a magazine. You can find our television show on DirecTV's audience network, channel 239, and we're on every Monday and Wednesday night, plus other times throughout the week. You can also see the entire archive of shows on our website by subscribing to our television subscription package, which for only $4.99 a month is a great deal because you can have access to all 190 of our shows on any device to watch as many times as you'd like. It's a great way to take a deep dive into what we're doing on the show. You can see what you've been hearing, and it's quite an immersive experience, so check that out. You can also find us on social media. We are Off Camera Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I'm Sam Jones on Twitter and Sam Jones Pictures on Instagram. And by the way, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see a lot of behind-the-scenes pictures of what we do here at Off Camera. With each guest that comes on the show, I do a photo shoot with them. And sometimes they're just simple portraits and sometimes they can be pretty high concept. But we always try to have some fun. We always try to come up with an indelible, intimate portrait that really expands on the portrait that we've created through our conversation. I really enjoy doing it, and you can see all those photographs at my Instagram, which is samjonespictures.com. So check that out. 
Also, you can reach me via email. I'm sam at offcamera.com. If you have a thought, you need some bad advice, or you just want to say hello, drop me an email. I want to thank every one of you for listening and tuning in and let you know that it's a great joy to do this show and be able to broadcast it via the internet all over the world. It's amazing to get responses from places far flung around the globe like Iceland and Alaska and Australia and Africa and Italy. And I especially love hearing about listeners' creative paths and the steps they're taking in their own career and the journey they're taking on their life. So thank you for listening. And I also want to thank everybody that works on this show. Crawford Chippy, Nathan Shields, Michaela Galvin, Sasha Snow, and Kara Johnson. They put a lot of effort into the show every week, and it's such a team effort over here. And it's exciting to have a crew of people that believes in what we're doing. So thanks for listening. And most importantly, please join me next time when I sit down with actor, writer, musician, and improv genius Jason Mansukas. I graduate college and get a Watson Fellowship, meant to be an exploration of something that you are passionate about, but something that you would not pursue on a graduate level. The only stipulation is you have to remain out of the country for at least a year. I got to Morocco, had a complete nervous breakdown, like crazy. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know anybody. I just really landed and freaked out. I got hives. I couldn't sleep. A lot of it was just, I would buy a phone card and I would call home and I would like, cry to my parents and be like, I fucked up. I shouldn't have done this. This was crazy. The thing that was massively helpful is just the understanding that nobody was going to help me with this. Everything that came next, I had to generate. And that was and is so applicable to this business because this business, nobody's here to help. He's become a constant on television with roles and guest appearances in shows like The League, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Modern Family, and The Good Place, to name a few. And as varied as his IMDb page is, it only scratches the surface. He writes, he plays the drums, he hosts the podcast, he does voiceover work. But the thing that keeps him going, his creative life force, is the improv and sketch comedy work he does on stage at Upright Citizens Brigade. As he says, improv is one of the only art forms where everybody, both the people on the stage and the people in the audience, are discovering the show in the moment. And when I think about it, the vast majority of my life's work has been completely ephemeral, unrecorded comedy. Jason joins me to talk about the nervous breakdown that taught him how to work through adversity, why he had a hard time getting roles early in his career because he wasn't a bland and normal-looking white guy, and why we should all have more yes and in our lives. See you next time, off camera.